Good morning. How great is our God? Today, Pastor Bruce is going to be continuing in his message uh, series on James. Uh, today, we'll be looking at chapter 4. Um, so if you have your Bibles, please grab it, and we'll be looking at verses 11 and 12. Um, if you don't have a Bible, feel free to grab a pew Bible, and the page we'll be looking at is 1201. Again, we'll be looking at James chapter 4, uh, verses 11 and 12, and on the pew Bible, that is page 1201. Um, please follow along with me. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Please bow your heads as I pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this day we can meet together in your house. Thank you for your word that you reveal to us through scripture. Please be with Pastor Bruce as he teaches from your word. Let us have ears to hear and soft hearts to obey and apply what is taught. And not just within these four walls, Lord, but in all walks of our life, Lord. I'll just pray in your son's name. Amen. Well, good morning. Welcome. It is wonderful to be back here standing behind this pulpit after a six-week break. And, uh, and so I'm super excited to preach this morning. I hope you're super excited to listen this morning. And if not, that's okay. You're here nonetheless. And uh, I just want to say a big thank you to Pastor Chris for uh, preaching the series in Jonah for those four weeks leading up to our World Outreach Celebration, preparing our hearts, and, and hopefully through that series you have learned to embrace the heart of God as we look out into the world beyond these four walls. And then I also appreciate Jim Smith uh, as he preached for us during our Sunday celebration service. And then last Sunday, my wife and I were on vacation, and we resumed our series here in the book of James. And so, yes, we are going to finish this book and this series. It is taking us a little while, but I am committed to finishing this series. And if you're wondering, will we finish it before the year's end? No, we will not. So I'm just telling you that up front. We will not finish it before the year's end, and that's quite all right. We will finish it in the month of January. And the reason for that is we're going to be in this series for today and two more Sundays, and then we will begin a Christmas series. Because I love Christmas. I love doing Christmas series. And if you do as well, I hope you'll be excited. If you don't like Christmas series, come anyways, because you will be blessed. And then we will finish up James in January. So with all that said, let me begin with this. There are times in the life of every family when a parent looks at their kid and says to them, Stop it! Stop what you're doing! How many parents know what I'm talking about? Yes, you said that to your kid or kids more times than you care to remember. And usually it's about the same thing you've told them to stop doing the week before or even the day before or just the hour before. And as parents, it can be quite exasperating to tell your kids over and over again, stop what you're doing. Listen, my wife and I, we, we know this frustration all too well with our own two boys when they were growing up, and it almost always had to do with how they were speaking to one another as brothers. They'd start going at each other. And if you have more than one child, you know what I'm talking about here, and, and then we would have to tell them again, stop it. Stop doing what you're doing. In a much the same way, that's what James is telling us here this morning. That's what James is doing here in this next section with these brothers and sisters in Christ. These Jewish believers that he's writing to, he's telling them through his letter to them, stop what you're doing. Now in the previous section, James focused on this necessity of humility 
in order to receive God's grace. You might remember in last uh, Sunday's message and even before our World Outreach series, we looked at this a little bit, but if you go back there in James chapter 4 to verse 6, James writes, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble, and we are so thankful for that. And then he makes this promise in verse 10. He says, humble yourself before the Lord, and he will exalt you. And so we have this necessity of humility, this requirement of humility, especially among the followers of Jesus Christ, in order to receive the grace that God wants us to live with. And at first glance, it seems that James is now moving on to a different topic. It seems as if he's dropping this topic of humility, and he's now addressing these these random topics in this next section here in chapter 4. And yet, if we read it closely, we see that James here, he is still emphasizing this need for humility among us here as Christ followers. In fact, what we're going to see beginning today and over the next couple of weeks here is that if we are not humble in these specific areas that he's going to raise up for us, if we're not humble in these areas of our lives, then self, more often than not, will raise its ugly head. And it will cause conflict in our relationships with one another and ultimately in our relationship with God. And James opposes this kind of arrogance. Why? Because this kind of arrogance is what illustrates for us the wisdom of the world, which we looked at already. A wisdom that is motivated by by selfish ambition, a wisdom that is motivated even by our sinful desires. And James opposes this kind of arrogance. And so what follows here in the rest of chapter 4 and into even the first part of chapter 5 is now this warning for us. He's warning us as Christ followers, and he's given us a warning against several sins of arrogance, if we can call them that. Or we might call them attitudes that contradict humility. And so here's the first warning, if you want to summarize it this way. It's against the sin of arrogant speaking. This is the first of three warnings against these sins of arrogance. And so the first sin, as we already said, it's it's, it's arrogant speaking. That's in verses 11 and 12. The second sin we'll look at next Sunday is in verses 13 through 17, and it's the sin of this presumptuous planning on our parts. And the last sin is found in the first part of chapter 5, and it's the sin of greedy living. So that kind of gives you that that where we're going today in the next two Sundays, what we're going to look at. Now, this first sin, it's the sin of evil speaking, and it's the sin of judging others. And it is clearly, as we're going to see here in a moment, an act of arrogance on our part. And so James basically now comes to us and says, stop it. Stop what you're doing here. Why? Because when we speak evil against someone, when we judge others, we are, in essence, appointing ourselves to a position over them. And James says, stop it. Why? Because what gives us the right to promote ourselves to that rank? Indeed, to assume the role of a judge is is to even usurp the authority that belongs to God alone. And so James comes immediately to us here in verse 11 and basically says, stop, stop what you're doing. And he concludes it with this question mark of of who are you to judge your neighbor? So let's, let's unpack this. Let's break this down and look at it here. And it really falls down and it falls out into two simple points here. Number one is stop speaking evil against one another. That's the first thing he tells us to stop doing. Stop speaking evil against one another. Notice the command in verse 11. He says, do not speak evil against one another, brothers. And so that's that's what he's telling us to stop in this speaking evil. Now, that is something that we, we expect to happen in the world. 
in fact, uh, in our culture today, it's so common that we just kind of accept it as normal. It's just a normal part of life. Certainly, it's normal at school. It's normal at work. It's, it's normal on social media. It's normal within the political realm. It's normal. It's just a normal part of life now, speaking evil against one another. And, and that's what we come to expect in our world. So when a person speaks evil against another person, we understand that that's the wisdom of the world at work. Stepping on each other in order to improve one's own reputation. Uh, cutting people down in, in order to feel better about ourselves. Creating sides. Slandering a boss to build their own following. That's how the world works. That's the wisdom of the world. But James is not concerned here with how the world speaks. Rather, James is concerned with how the church is speaking to one another. And that's why he comes to us in this letter and says, Stop it! Stop what you're doing here! You see, James is calling out believers in the church for speaking evil against one another. And the present tense of this verb that he uses when he says, do not speak evil, it means they are already doing this. They are speaking evil against one another. They're continuing to do this. And so James says to them, stop it. Stop it. Stop what you're doing. Stop speaking evil against one another. Now, we need to kind of define what that means. What, what does James mean by this phrase, speaking evil against one another? Well, here's what it means. Literally, it means this, don't speak down on one another. So it's this idea of speaking down on somebody. Uh, and, and so that's the overarching meaning of speaking evil, but we speak down on people in a variety of different ways. For example, uh, so it's the idea of don't backbite. Don't criticize someone. Don't defame somebody. Don't malign them. And at the heart of it all is this term slander. In fact, some of your Bible translations even use the word slander instead of speak evil. And so speaking evil and slander, they're almost used synonymously here, but it's speaking evil. It's the big umbrella term. It includes all these things, but at the heart of it, it's the idea of you're slandering that person. And, and so to speak evil, it, it's the idea of derogatory speech that is maliciously intended to influence others against another person. So think of it this way. Evil speaking or speaking evil, it is derogatory speech. It's degrading speech against somebody. But notice this. Here's what James is going to point out for us. Our relationship with as brothers and sisters in Christ puts us all on the same level. So it is therefore improper. It's even wrong. It's sinful to there speak down on one another. Why? Because we're brothers and sisters in Christ. We're all on the same level at the foot of the cross. And yet we also know how easy it is to speak evil against others. Listen, believers in the first century they had the same problem believers have in the 21st century. And part of the problem is we think it's somehow okay to say something derogatory about someone as long as it's true. But evil speaking has nothing to do with the truth of what is being said. Listen, you can still speak evil against someone with the truth. As one commentator writes, he says, and I quote, a derogatory word may be perfectly true. We do not have to tell lies in order to defame. But the fact that it is true gives us no right to say it. True or false, it makes us superior to the other person so that we talk down to them. And so evil speaking is forbidden not because it's a breach of truth. It's forbidden here because it's a breach of our humility. In other words, if we are really humble before God Almighty, if we understand who God is and, and what he has done for us, then we have, in the words of one other author, we have no altitude left 
from which to talk down to anyone in Christ. You see, James knows the damage caused by such verbal assassins in the church. And so he addresses it head on. Stop it. Now, you need to understand, James, when he's writing this, he writes with, yes, much zeal. But he also, it's true, he, he writes very firm here. But in his zeal and in his frankness, his firmness, you need to understand he's writing very pastorally. He's writing with a heart of love for these Jewish believers in Christ. And through now this recorded scriptures, he's coming to us with a heart of love, just as a parent with a child when they are correcting their children and say, stop it. Stop what you're doing. And that is the heart concern of James here for the church of God. James knows this damage caused by such verbal assassins, and so he's telling us, stop it. God actually told his people the same thing way back in the Old Testament. Listen to what God says in Leviticus 19, 16 through 18. He says, do not go about spreading slander among your people. Do not jeopardize your neighbor's life. I am the Lord. Do not harbor hatred against your brother. Rebuke your brother directly, and you will not incur guilt because of him. Do not take revenge or bear a grudge against members of your community, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. And as we have seen already here in the book of James, speaking, the tongue, the, our, what, we, what comes out of our mouth really begins in the heart first. It's a heart problem. And just listen to the words of Jesus here in Matthew 12, 34 and 37. He says, you brood of vipers. He's, call, he's calling out the Pharisees here. How can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. And so Jesus here is telling us that speaking evil, listen, it's not a problem of the tongue so much as it is a problem of the heart. And so like his older half-brother, James is confronting the sin of speaking evil against one another. And you may have noticed in our study through the book of James here so far that when James confronts a sin, like he's doing here, he also deals almost always with the root cause underneath that sin. For example, just even right here in chapter 4 of James, when he confronts the sin back in, chapter, in verse 1, the sin of quarrels and fightings, conflict among you, he also deals with the root cause of it all. And he goes after the root cause of the quarrels and conflict. It basically says the root cause is selfish ambition and friendship with the world. And he even goes so far as he says he calls it spiritual adultery. Why? Because he deals with this, he confronts the sin, but he deals with the root cause. And that's what James does here when he says, stop speaking evil against one another. That's the sin. And now he goes after the root cause when he basically tells us point number two, stop playing God in relation to others. Stop playing God in relation to others. Now, don't miss the connection between the two. The connection between speaking evil against someone and judging that person. James links them together. Notice this. Look at it. Look what he writes. He says, do not speak evil against one another. We're in verse 11, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother. That's interesting. He equates the two there speaks evil against the law, and judges the law. Again, equating both speaking evil and judging. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. So in other words, James is basically saying, stop playing God in people's lives. And here's why James says that. Notice this in your notes. 
When we speak evil against another person, James is saying to us, we are judging that person, and in essence, we are putting ourselves in the place of God. You see, judging here, it means to sit in judgment over somebody else because they, they don't do things the way we like or the way we want them to do. In fact, James, is he, he's confronting, he's attacking, he's going after the and calling out the condescending judgment of the Pharisees, their attitude that caused these Pharisees to to pass judgment on everybody else and to view themselves as better than everyone else. And so even here, James, what he's doing, he's echoing the same warning that Jesus gave us back in the Gospels, particularly in Matthew, in his Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 5. Listen to what he says, Jesus here. He says, judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use it, you will be, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. One commentator adds this. He says, to judge a brother is to deny that he is your peer. The judge exalts himself and diminishes his brother, for only superiors judge their inferiors. But as another commentator reminds us, none of us are the firstborns. He's saying that spiritually speaking. None of us are the firstborn. We are simply co equal family members. The idea is we're all on the same level. We're brothers and sisters in Christ, and that should immediately humble us. And so James says, stop playing God in people's lives. Listen, when we speak evil against another person, what we are doing is we are judging that person and putting ourselves in the place of God, whether we realize it or not. Again, speaking evil, it it lives in the heart first. It's something that we say to ourselves long before we say it to somebody else. But when our hearts are, are filled with the love of Jesus Christ, then that love, what it does, it begins to root out the judgmentalism in our hearts as well. Now, we probably need to stop at this point and ask a really Super important question. Not only ask it, but answer it. And that is this. Does this mean that all judging is always wrong? Because in our culture, the answer would be what? Yes. That's the narrative of our culture, even though, in reality, our culture judges every day. The problem is we just don't fit their narrative. We don't fit their ideology. And so the question is super important today, especially in our culture, is all judging always wrong? And biblically speaking, the answer, I'll give it to you real quick, to that question is no. And here's why. Let me show you this. Let me take you through a progression of thought here. If James, notice this in your notes, if James forbids all judgment, what he does, then he is condemning himself and he is contradicting Jesus. For example, to show you this from the book of James, James calls the believers he's writing to here in chapter 4, he calls them adulterers, spiritual adulterers, because of their friendship with the world. Listen, that's a judgment that James makes on them and their sin. What about Jesus? Did he forbid all judgment? Well, no. Just consider what Jesus said in John chapter 7, verse 24. Jesus said this, stop judging according to outward appearances, rather Judge according to righteous judgment. 
So if James forbids all judgment, then he is condemning himself since he judged these Jewish believers as spiritual adulterers, and he even contradicts Jesus, who told us to judge according to righteous judgment. So James, notice the second point here, he's not saying here that we should never make right judgments or even use good judgment. In fact, the Bible, do you realize the Bible actually commands us, it commands Christ followers like us here this morning, it commands us to make right judgments. It commands us to use good judgment, which means judging is necessary as a Christ follower. For example, in Matthew chapter 7, verse 15, Jesus tells us that we are to pass judgment on false teachers. In 1 Corinthians 2, 15, Paul says the Christian is to judge, quote, all things. And in 1 Corinthians 5, 1 through 3, Paul says we are to judge someone who is openly living in sin and to remove them from the assembly of the church. According to Galatians 1.9, we are to judge someone as, quote, cursed of God if they preach a different gospel. According to Hebrews 5.14, the spiritually discerning are to make judgment calls between that which is good and that which is evil. In 1 John 4.1, we are told, again, to judge false teachers by testing the spirits to see if they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. So again, I ask you the question, is all judging always wrong? And I hope you're seeing from God's word, the answer is no. The Bible commands us to make right judgments and to use good judgment. In other words, as Christ followers here this morning, we are to exercise discretion And we desperately need to think critically about life from God's perspective. We are to evaluate people and even their actions biblically. We are to confront sin when needed. And yes, we are to do so truthfully and graciously. In other words, we are not to go on, quote, judgment autopilot and just coast through and turn a blind eye, put our head in the sand, and act as everything is okay. Listen, we we should not be fearful of making right judgments for fear of being canceled or even labeled by culture, friends, and even family. We have a responsibility here as Christ followers. So if James is not forbidding all judgment, then what in the world is he forbidding? Well, notice this. James is forbidding judgmentalism, which is a critical spirit that judges everyone and everything, seeking to run others down. You see, there is a big difference, a huge difference between judging making right judgments, and judgmentalism. There's a difference between making a right judgment and having a judgmental spirit. There's a big difference between thinking critically about life and what we're involved in and who our friends are and what we do and what we participate in and being critical. And so the issue here is not whether you judge but rather how you judge and why you judge. And James is rebuking the kind of judging that plays God in people's lives. The reality is, me included, we make terrible judges. The reason is because we cannot see people's hearts. We can't see their motives. And we are not permitted to make assumptions about those things. Listen, if you think here, 
If you're one sitting right now and you think you know what is in people's hearts, and if you think that you can actually discern somebody's motives, that's not the gift of discernment. That's proof you are trying to play God. For only God has that ability. 1 Samuel 16, 7 says, Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. So here's another important question we should be asking ourselves. How do you see people? How do you view people? Do you you see people through a lens of judgmentalism, or do you see people through a lens of mercy and love? James said back in 2.13, judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. So in order to judge properly, we might say it this way, in order to judge biblically, there must be mercy in our hearts, love in our hearts toward people. And if that mercy and love is missing, then you will see people through a lens of judgmentalism. In Matthew chapter 9, the Pharisees rendered a judgment that was, I mean, way off. It, was out, it wasn't just in left field. It was out of the park. It was so off. These Pharisees in chapter 9 of Matthew were condemning repentant sinners instead of rejoicing over their repentance. And Jesus responds to them in verse 13. It says, but go and learn what this means. I I desire mercy, not sacrifice. You see, the the Pharisees were judgmental and because they lacked mercy. So Jesus told them, listen, you need to go learn about mercy. Go and find out about it. Go see what God said about it in the Old Testament. Thank you, Alan. I'm dying up here. Not dying, literally. You you guys get it. So, where does this judgmental attitude come from? Now, again, let's just be honest here, me included. We all struggle with this. Every person here, we, we struggle with the attitude of judgmentalism that, that James is calling out. This is a struggle for all of us. I mean, and it shouldn't surprise us, because if it was a problem in the first century with these Jewish believers, why would it not continue to be a struggle for us even today? Are we any better than them? No. So this is a struggle with us all. But, but thankfully, right, we've already learned that when we repent, there's what? There's grace. When we're humble, there's grace. There's forgiveness. So we're not left to just wallow in our misery of judgmentalism and sin. No, no. I, I hope you see that as well. So, so this is something we all struggle with, but where does it come from? Because it doesn't just, you know, hang out here in the sky and all of a sudden, oh, yeah, I'm a judgmental person. No, 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 no. It's, it's rooted in something. So where and what does it look like? Well, James actually answers that for us. And James identifies two sources of this judgmental attitude that are both rooted in a heart of pride. So notice the first one. It comes from a low view of God's law. It first of all comes from a low view of God's law. Look what he says again in verse 11. James says, The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law... You are not a doer of the law, but a judge. Now, what law do you think James has in mind here? Well, we've already seen him talk about a law back in chapter uh, 2. And I would suggest to you that James is referring to the royal law summarized by Jesus Christ. Jesus summarizes royal law in Matthew chapter 22, and it's the same law that James referred to back in chapter 2, where he says in verse 8, listen to it, if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, and now it's summarized to this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. And we already have seen that that law that James quoted in chapter 2 verse 8 
to love your neighbor, that law comes from Leviticus 19, which we just read about. Let me, let me show it to you again. Verses 16 and 18, he says, You shall not go around as a slanderer among your people. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So that's the law that James is referring to here. And here's the implication of this. When we, when we are judging and speaking evil, when we have this low view of God's law, the implication is when we judge another person, we are actually judging the law as unworthy of our own obedience. And, and therefore, we disregard the law altogether. What we're, we're saying, in effect, is this. The royal law, nah, that doesn't apply to me. I don't have to obey that. I don't have to follow that law. And what we're doing, we're setting ourselves as a judge above the law, the royal law to love one another. And James says, if you do that, you're not a doer of the law. And we already know he's told us we need to be doers and not hearers only. He told us that back in chapter 1. And, and so here's the, the implication is we decide the law of love somehow in our minds, in our irrational thinking, we think this royal law of love, it's inadequate to make a difference in people's lives. Oh, God's royal law of love, loving on my neighbor as myself, man, that's, that ain't going to work, God. That's not going to make a difference in this person that I can't get along with that's irritating me and my sibling or my spouse or who, my coworker. God, that law, nah, I don't buy into it. It's not going to have any effect on their life. It's not going to make a difference. That's what, we're, that's what we're doing. We may not say that outwardly. We may not even be thinking that, but that is in essence what we are doing. We, we are deciding that the royal law of love is inadequate to make a difference, and it's unworthy now of my obedience. I'm above it. We think we can just disregard that law because, after all, we think, again, we may not verbalize this, but here's what we're thinking. My way of dealing with that person is better than God's way. Kurt Richardson gives this insight in his commentary. It's worth its weight in gold. Listen to what he says. In slandering another person, believers slander the law of God. When believers judge another person, they judge God's law. Believers should accept the law of God. But this law requires them to exercise mercy toward others since they have received and are putting their hopes on the mercy of God. Slander then offends not only the brother and constitutes judgment against him, but also offends the law and constitutes judgment against it. In both cases, the slanders have placed themselves in a superior position. They are putting themselves in the place of God, whose mercy they themselves require. Did you hear how many times he used the word mercy here? In other words, the gospel liberates us from a judgmental heart, or at least it should. James is telling us that it is impossible to be a doer of the law and a judge of the law at the same time. Listen, we, we can't be both because a doer submits himself under the law of God. But a judge, what? Elevates himself above God's law. And so the question here for us is this. Have you submitted to God's law to love God, and to love others. Do you believe that God's way of working, change in people, is the best way? Or do you stand above that law and think that you have a better way than God to work change in somebody's life? thinking that, that by your judging that you can work change in people that only grace and mercy and love can accomplish. Listen, it is so easy to judge, and every time we are judgmental when we do. We are, in essence, we are saying, my way of judgment is better than God's way 
of love. How arrogant on our part. So the first source of judgmentalism, it comes from this very low view of God's law of love. And closely related is a second source. It comes from an extremely high view of self. Look what James writes here in verse 12. There is only one lawgiver and judge. He who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Now, James, I don't know. I love James. I think he's awesome. One reason why, because he's so frank. He just puts it out there. He, and he's kind of in your face. But you, you know where he stands. And James is being super frank here. And he's basically asking who do you think you are? Do you, do you really think that you can play God? Because there's only one God and you're not it. That's what James is saying here. Why? Because there's only one who can save. There's only one who can destroy, and that is God Almighty. Therefore, there's only one person in all the universe who has the right to judge, and that's the lawgiver and the judge himself. Now, the implication is super clear here because what James is saying is that when we judge another person, what we are doing, whether we realize it or not, we are usurping God's authority, his sovereign authority as lawgiver and judge. We're just bypassing him. We're we're going over him. We're usurping him. Why? Because to put ourselves above God's law is to put ourselves above him. And even in place of him. And to do so, get this, it is to repeat the very first sin in the Garden of Eden. When Adam and Eve chose to do what? Usurp the authority of God and disobey God in Genesis chapter 3. When we decide, and this happens all the time, when we decide we know better than God. And we know better than God's law then we are deciding that we know better than God and we end up doing what? We end up playing God. Here's the problem. And it's the problem that James is calling out is that we're forgetting here who God is and who we are. You see, James, he is... He is lovingly reminding us that there is only one lawgiver and there's only one judge and it's not us, it's God. Only God has the right to judge or as one pastor put it, only God has the right to do performance reviews on Christians. And don't miss the reason why. James tells us why this is the case because only God is able to do what? to save and to destroy. Aren't you thankful for that? Aren't you thankful that salvation and destruction is not held in somebody else's hands, but only in a loving, merciful, just, and righteous God? He is the one who holds that power. God says in Deuteronomy 32, 29, See now that I myself am he. There is no God besides me. I put to death and I bring to life. And Hannah, who who could not have children, she was past that time of children. She comes to God to the temple every day and she begs for God to give her a, a, a baby. And God finally acknowledges or does so. And Hannah acknowledges this in her prayer. In 1 Samuel 2, 6, the Lord brings death and makes alive. And again, James is echoing what Jesus said in Matthew 10, 28. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. You can, you can follow James' logic here. That's another reason why I enjoy James, because he's very logical in his reasoning and how he presents himself and the truth of God here. And basically, his logic is this. Since God, since that is true here, since God is the only one who can save 
eternally and destroy eternally, since that is true, then only God has the right to judge. That's James' logic. Which means then, when we judge other people with this judgmental, critical spirit, then what we are doing is we are usurping a right that only God has because he is the supreme lawgiver and judge. In other words, those are the credentials that give God the right to pass judgment. He is the lawgiver. He is the judge. He is the one who's able to save and destroy eternally. And we must not forget this truth. This is a very gracious reminder to us that God could justly and righteously condemn all of us here and destroy all of us in our sins. And he would be just to do so. But in mercy, what did God choose to do? He chose to save you. He chose to send his son Jesus Christ and make a way of salvation for us. And that should humble us. That puts us on equal playing field, on a level ground with one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. In other words, we all stand together by the mercy of God. Therefore, no one has, quote, superiority over another person from which we now talk down on them in judgment of them. Instead, we are all bound to one another in family love. The kind of love that the royal law commands, the kind of love that's illustrated in the story of the Good Samaritan, the kind of love that was ultimately demonstrated by God himself on the cross of Jesus Christ. That kind of love, it leaves no room for any of us here to talk down on other people, but only for lifting one another up. Notice again James' concluding question. When it comes to the sin of arrogance, speaking and judging at the end of verse 12, he says, for who are you to judge your neighbor? We need to consider that question. That question, it, it's meant to grab our attention. It's meant to pierce our hearts and get us thinking about what we're doing when we speak evil against someone and play God in their lives. The question is very blunt. It can literally read this way. You there, who are you to treat others this way? You know why James is so frank and so blunt here? Because he knew how easy it is for all of us to speak evil against one another and to play God in people's lives. And most of all, he knew the danger of it within the body of Christ. James knew that when we treat people this way, we are actually, hear this, cooperating with the devil himself, who is called the chief accuser in the slanderer. When we speak evil against a brother or sister in Christ, we are actually bringing into the family of God the activity of the devil. So isn't it ironic that those who, who want to play God in people's lives, in reality, end up playing the devil? So if you really want to act like God, then extend love, extend grace, extend mercy. Instead of judging your neighbor, fulfill the royal law. Love your neighbor as yourself. After all, James asked, who are you to judge your neighbor? It's a rather blunt question. And by the way, how would you answer that question? Right, right now. It's a question that we are to consider. How would you answer it for yourself? Who are you to judge your neighbor? Would you answer it this way? Oh, man, yeah, I might never say it, but inwardly in my heart, I think I'm a little better than a lot of other Christians. 
I, I think I'm superior than that person and that person and that person, certainly those people I work with and go to school with. I'm better than them. I'm superior than them. Is that how you would answer that question? Or would you answer it this way? Yeah, boy, I know I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner who is saved by the grace of God. And I have no right to stand in God's place as judge. Now, thankfully, Jesus stood in our place as sinners. Amen? We shout hallelujah to that when he died on the cross as our Savior. And that, my friends, is the cure for a judgmental heart. Notice this. That is to recognize that Jesus is both judge, but he is a Savior, and only he can free us from a judgmental heart. So I encourage you, I implore you, to turn to Jesus in repentance of this sin that we all struggle with, this sin of arrogance speaking, and receive the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. Listen, go back to what we learned last Sunday about the lifestyle of repenters in verses 6 through 10. This should characterize us as Christ followers. We're in a heart of humility. We are repentant. Rely on the power of God's grace daily to deliver you from this burden of trying to play God in other people's lives. And most of all, seek to fulfill the royal love by loving people instead of judging them. Will you bow your heads with me? Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you for the truth of your word and for your grace and mercy to us. Help us to see ourselves in light of your truth here in James. Help us to recognize that only Jesus can free us from a judgmental heart. So may we turn to him even now for forgiveness of this sin of arrogant speaking. And Lord, help us to be a church, a people of that extend your grace and mercy to one another. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.